Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Awesome. We're doing good. I'm doing great. If it is your first time joining us here at Hosanna here in our building, or if you're joining us online today for the first time, we do want to say welcome to you. We're so glad you're all here to worship with us. Those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Nathan, and what we're going to be talking about today is humility, a super fun topic for all of us when we deal with this, but the Bible has so much to say about it. But we're going to be looking at humility, not just in a broad sense, but really in the context of being a good follower. As we've been studying through the book of First Peter, he's been touching on all these different topics. And humility is something that I think all of us struggle with at one time or another in, <clears throat> in one way or another. You know, the modern thought in culture is stand tall, be proud, you know, and, and you know, there's good that can come from confidence, for sure. Confidence is a good thing, but when confidence becomes arrogance, what happens is division, disunity, disharmony, and disaster often follow. You know, we live life among others in this world, and sometimes living life among others means that we need to bend low in, humil in humility for the sake of solidarity and unity. And really being humble and living humble is something that all Christians are called to do, especially as we stand together as the body of Christ against the arrogance of a fallen world that aggressively hates Jesus Christ. You know, there was a great ship once, the grandest of its age, considered the strongest, most luxurious ship ever created. It took 12,000 men two years to build it, and you guys know its name, right? The Titanic, one of the most famous ships. And it was said of this ship, and you've heard this quote before, they said, even God himself cannot sink this ship. They were so confident of that on the morning of April 14th, 1912, as the ship was about to depart, they didn't even do the typical normal lifeboat drills that you're supposed to do on a ship because they thought, even God himself can't sink this ship, so the lifeboat drills were simply not necessary. Well, we all know that that night at 11.40 p.m., that unsinkable ship struck an iceberg and went down. You know, the story in the sinking of the Titanic, they bring to mind important words from Proverbs 16 that I think uh, would serve us all well to memorize. Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride comes before destruction, and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Not only is humility something we're familiar with, but pride is something I think all of us are very familiar with. It's the oldest sin in the universe. Pride has no, uh, no signs of weakening, no signs of slowing down with time. It just seems to get stronger and stronger as each generation passes. You know, it was pride that put Lucifer out of heaven. It was pride that put Adam and Eve out of the garden. It was pride that led to the first murder. Pride ruins everything it touches. Pride is just horrible. It's our greatest enemy. But humility, humility is our greatest friend. And sometimes humility is found in just the strangest of places. You know, 41 years ago, then-President Ronald Reagan, some of you remember this, was shot in an assassination attempt on his life and ended up in the hospital. Fortunately, the bullet just grazed his ribs and his shoulder. But one of the days as he was in the hospital recovering, the nurse, one of the nurses attending on him entered the room, 
And they found him out of his bed, on his knees, on the floor, wiping up some spilled water in the bathroom of his room. And the nurse, shocked, was like, Mr. President, we have people for that. And the president went on to describe or explain to her that he didn't want another nurse or an aide or an attendant to get in trouble simply for not cleaning up some spilled water on the floor. And so he didn't think it was beneath himself, even as the president of the United States, to get on the floor, to get on his own knees, on his own knees to clean up the spill. An amazing picture of humility. You know, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, said, be humble or you'll stumble. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. With that concept in mind, we're going to be looking at how we can stumble if we're not humble and really take a look at this attitude that we're to have as people in context of 1 Peter 5 and what it says about us being followers um, in the various aspects of our lives. But before we get to that, we want to take a moment to turn our hearts, to turn our minds, to turn our focus to our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, to lift up his name high in praise and worship. And so please join me in prayer, and then we will just uh, lift up his name. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We're so thankful for who you are. We're thankful, God, that as the God of the universe, creator of all things, you are the greatest example of humility. That God, even as, as, as you are, are, are pure and holy and righteous, God, you deserve worship. You deserve glory. You humbled yourself by coming to this earth and clothing yourself in, the, in frail humanity and God dying on the cross in our place. Lord, we pray, God, that this morning we would be reminded of your example of humility and how that's to operate in our lives, God. Lord, how we're to be as your people in, in your church and in this world, God, as humble followers of Jesus Christ, the humble King. And so, Lord, we ask this morning, God, as we start with just worshiping you and praising your name, God, that you would be glorified, that you would be blessed. And, Lord, we invite your spirit to fall upon us this morning that we would have ears to hear what you're, uh, what you're teaching us, what you're speaking to us, God, and that we would leave here today changed, ready to do your will in a lost and dying world. God, we love you so much, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, guys, we're continuing our study in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 7 this morning, and uh, um, I'm just going to read the whole passage to you, and then we'll start digging through. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 5, he says, In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility, Towards one another, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your cares on Him because He cares about you. You know, these sections of, of Scripture can sometimes be awkward to teach as a pastor, especially last week, right? Let me teach you what a good shepherd is. <laughs> right? It's just it's an awkward type of thing to share, but 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 we go through it because it's scriptural. And then something like this, which is is really pointed at at following, you know, the followers, can be an awkward piece of scripture to to teach because you know, like what kind of person wants to stand in a pulpit and go follow well and follow you know and follow the elders, you know? And and we're not going to do it that way this morning. But I do want to walk through what it says and how it encourages all of us because we all follow somebody, okay? But to set the scene here, Peter has written in his letter so far to several different groups of people through his letter here in First Peter. 
Now we know if you go all the way back to the beginning that Peter's audience, he wrote to the audience, he called them exiles of the dispersion. That these were Christian people, both Jews and Gentiles, who had been dispersed through the area of what is likely modern Turkey, and they were suffering persecution for their faith. And so they were a suffering group of people. That theme of suffering and suffering well and suffering in a biblical way is brought up some 21 different times in the five chapters of 1 Peter. So it's an important theme that he deals with. And the people he was writing to, they were suffering simply because they were trying to live lives of obedience to their God in every area of their life. And so he addressed specific groups where he talked to us as citizens, right, in our submission to governments, even bad governments. He talked to workers, at least the context in those times were slaves or household slaves, but today's connotation would be employees, and he talked to them about how to submit even when you're suffering under a bad boss. He talked to wives directly, he talked to husbands directly, And then last week, we looked at in the first four verses of chapter five where he dealt specifically with the elders, the shepherds, the pastors and leaders in the church to really encourage them and remind them and call them to do what they're called to do, to shepherd the flock. And we talked about how that meant that the leaders are called to feed the flock. And he said three things. He goes, do it by example, right? Don't just, don't just teach something you're not living. He said, do it willingly and not out of compulsion. And the reason it's important to, to, to speak to leaders, and I believe the reason Peter spoke to the leaders in the first four verses, was because when suffering is present in our lives, when suffering is present in the lives of the church, um, good leadership should also be present. Really, I think good leadership is important, and, 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 it's, and it's pretty much critical that it's present because good leadership in the church feeds the flock. And when the flock is fed, when God's suffering sheep are fed, God's suffering sheep will find peace and will find an ability to be calm in the midst of the suffering and then will be given and equipped with the very tools they need to get through the suffering. That's why it's so important for shepherds to shepherd and to feed. But the church also needs something else for all of that to happen effectively. Not just good leaders, but the church also needs good followers. And I believe Peter is addressing this because, you know, suffering, we, we all know in different areas of our lives, we've all experienced this, I believe, suffering brings out the worst in people, doesn't it? It can bring out the worst attitudes in people's lives, right? When people are suffering, often they'll fall back to their basest behaviors, you know, when they're suffering, they'll, they'll fall back to their worst preconceptions. They'll fall back to their worst prejudices. Tempers flare. Irritations rise. Accusations fly. And pride begins to rear its ugly head. And so, after Peter has been writing to the body, saying, look, endure suffering, he then addressed the elders to say, look, lead properly, feed the sheep, because that's important in suffering especially. And now he deals with those who are younger and then everybody is one group as he encourages them to follow properly through humility. And he does this by teaching us to actively engage in the action of submission, the attitude of humility, and how we're enabled to do that by humbling ourselves before God. Now I do think that there is a contextual connection to the previous four verses about um, the instructions for elders because really the action of submitting to the leadership that God has placed over us in our lives, 
The very act of doing that often requires great humility and great grace, and we'll talk more about that later. But really, I believe that when leaders lead in a biblical and godly way, the flock of God is strengthened to follow and, and, and to follow easier. You know, when, you're, when your leadership is leading in a godly and biblical way, it's easy to follow. And then when the flock follows in a biblical and a godly way, the leadership is in strengthened to lead better. And so there's a synergy that happens between these two things. And so um, there's three kind of main points here I believe Peter has in these verses that I want to make this morning. And the first one is simply found there in verse five, and it's this. Responding to authority helps leadership lead well. You know, nothing helps leaders lead more, uh, more efficiently, lead more godly, more biblically than, than, than people responding to their leadership, okay? Um, look at verse five. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. In the same way as what? Well, again, if you go back to the first four verses, he's talking about in the same way that the elders are called to shepherd the flock, Right? The, uppers, the elders were called to shepherd the flock willingly. They were called to shepherd the flock eagerly. They were called to shepherd the flock by example. And so he's going, so now in the same way, you who are younger, subject yourselves to the elders willingly, eagerly, and by example. Now that word be subject, that phrase there, it's also translated submit yourselves, right? It's a word we're very familiar with through the book of 1 Peter. It's the word in the Greek, hupotasso, Right? It's a word that means to arrange in an orderly fashion a group of soldiers underneath their ranking commanding officer. That's what this word hupotasso talks about. So when you see that word submission or that concept subject yourselves, it's really a military term that's saying line up underneath someone's authority. It's the idea of voluntarily giving up your rights to the authority to another person, right? And that's essentially what a soldier does in the army, right? I have the God-given right to choose to do whatever I want, but I'm voluntarily saying you are the, the commander, the sergeant, the whatever, and so, so when you say march, I'm gonna march, right? It's that idea. It's the idea of following their lead when they're in charge, and if they're in charge. Now, the theme of submission in 1 Peter, as I said, should be very familiar to us now, right? Chapter two, verse 13, he said, submit to every human authority because of the Lord and talked about um, um, citizens, being Christian citizens. In chapter two, verse 18, he was talking to household slaves or again, in modern terms, employees. He said, submit to your masters with all reverence. In chapter three, verse one, it said, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Very important distinction to understand. Chapter three, verse seven, husbands in the same way, right? Submission goes both ways. It says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Chapter three, verse 22, it says that the angels and the authorities and the powers subject to uh, all the, the angels, the authorities and the powers are subject to Christ or in submission to Christ. And so, what we've seen throughout this whole letter is that submission is a part of every realm of life that we can find ourselves in, every realm of life. And the reason is, is because submission is, is, is foundational. It's a foundational attitude in all of life. I mean, if you think about it, you can't even be saved without submission, right? There is no salvation without submission. You know, to be saved, you have to repent, Repent of your sin, you turn, you walk away 
from your own self-will. You walk away, in a sense, from your own self-determination. You walk away from the lordship of your own life. You walk away from your previous choices. You turn around. You go in a different direction, right? That's what that word um, repent means, and you submit yourself to the will of God. That's, that's, That's salvation. You come to that place of understanding, look, the decisions I've been making they're really bad, right? They, they, they've resulted in sin and they've resulted in difficulty. And so, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm going to submit myself to your will. I'm going to be obedient to your will. And you can't follow Christ unless you are willing to submit to Christ as your Lord and your Savior. It's foundational. But even in that, it's a choice that we make, right? God doesn't force us to be saved. God doesn't force us to follow him. We what? Willingly give our lives to him. Many of us, when we realize the, the, the destruction that sin had wrought in our lives, we eagerly give our lives to the Lord. And then we live lives of example of that very obedience and submission as we move forward as disciples. We willingly say to the Lord, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to obey your way, your will today. You know, now, I'll be the first one to agree with probably a lot of you. It's hard to do that. It is, it is, it is hard to, to, to submit your will to God. But it's especially hard to do that with another human, isn't it? God is perfect. God is gracious. God is just. Humans? Not really. And so it can be difficult It's scary to submit ourselves to another human. It can be scary because they they could hurt you. They could take advantage of you. They can abuse the authority. And And it's a huge act of faith to submit yourself to the authority of someone else. And I believe it's an act of faith because when you submit to another human person as a believer, and what it here, it's talking about those who are younger, subject yourselves to the elders. It's an act of faith because when you do that, what you're doing as a Christian is trusting that there is a God behind them who is sovereign, a God who is in control, a God who knows all things. You're trusting in that God, and when that God says, hey, I want you to subject yourself to this person, you're going, okay, I don't know about them, but I know about you. So I'm going to trust you in it. That's why it's an act of faith. And this really applies. This is in spite of who's president. This is in spite of who's governor. This is in spite of, of, of what boss you have, in spite of the issues that you might have at home, in spite of who the elders and shepherds are in your church. You know, if, 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 if all of those people that God have placed over you, you know, have been placed there by the Lord, you're acting in faith, you're trusting God when you submit to them according to God's word. And this is why I believe earlier he said, look, citizens, you know, submit yourself to the governing authorities. Workers, submit yourselves to the bosses, wives to the husbands, husbands to the wives, and so on and so forth. But why is he singling out the younger here, specifically uh, in relation to the elders? That's the question I was asking myself as I was trying to follow Peter's flow of thought right here. Right? And so, likely... Um, I think it's because when churches go through great times of difficulty, um, struggles, suffering, whatever it may be, there are those who will rise up and challenge the leadership in the churches. It's, it's just a part of how it happens. Often, not always, 
Not always young people. Often, however, it is the younger ones who will do that, that will rise up and challenge the leadership, the elders, the older. And it's very possibly the situation that, that Peter is addressing here as he's writing to, to the people he's writing to, you know. The younger can often struggle with, with, with trusting the older, right? Every generation has dealt with this. The younger can often look to the older and, and, and for one reason or another start to think they're out of touch. They don't understand anymore. They're not relevant they don't understand what my world is today. They don't understand the difficulties I'm dealing with. And the younger who, who very simply and realistically, realistically, not offensively, all right, simply lack the wisdom that comes with experience can sometimes be very quick or too quick to dismiss those who do have the wisdom that comes from experience. And so the word younger here, as I said, it's used in contrast to those who are elder. The word elder is that word presbyteros. It's the same one he used in the first four verses. It's a word used in the New Testament to refer to those that are raised up and appointed to lead in the church, right? The elders, the shepherds, the overseers, those are the same people. That's the leadership within the congregations that the New Testament is talking about. But these people were raised up due to not only a calling in their life to lead, but a maturity they have, experience they have. And so that word literally means, can be translated older man, right? But it can also refer to um, older spiritually. It doesn't just refer to age. So in that context, this word is, is really talking about the elders in the church who are elder in the church because of their experience and their maturity. And then when he uses the word younger, that word in the Greek simply means the younger of two, right? So if one is 50 and the other is 45, the 45 is the younger of two, right? It doesn't just refer to, to young as in age, you know, teenagers or 20-year-olds or kids. It's, it's the younger of two. Now, this word in the New Testament is translated to different places, specifically younger men. It's also translated in Timothy as younger women. So it's talking about the younger of two. And it includes the concept of younger by age, but it also includes the concept of younger by experienced, okay, less experienced. The word itself literally means fresh, or new, or novice. And in those contexts, it speaks simply to the lack of experience and the lack of wisdom that comes with the lack of experience from those who have less experience, right? Understand? Now, obviously, um, youth can be accompanied with, with great confidence. You know, youth is, is such a wonderful time of, of daring and creativity, right? It's such a wonderful time of risk. When you're young, you often do feel invincible, right? You could take on the world. Pessimists would say it's because real life hasn't beaten the hope out of you yet. And that's a sad way to look at things, you know? Um, but as much as youth can be this wonderful, great time, it also can be a very dangerous time because youth can be accompanied with arrogance. Youth can be accompanied with an arrogance that says, you know what, I'm wiser than everybody else around me, including or especially the older people. 
right? Our, our culture today is, is very aggressively fighting this culture war where, where the older are dismissive to the younger and the younger are dismissive to the older and they call names for each other. And, and it's just, it's this divide that is taking place. You know, as I said, youth can often be accompanied with this arrogance that thinks you know better than the people older than you, you know, and I used to think that. When I was younger, I was into computers and IT, and I happened to be in computers and IT when, when some of the older people around me hadn't even touched any of that yet, right? Now it's just commonplace for everybody, but, but I was getting involved in all this where, where people weren't touching it. Oh, that's just a toy, you know? And so I got very arrogant and, you know, oh, you're just out of touch and you're outdated and all that. Well, the reality was is I just hadn't been wrong enough times to know better, <laughs> right? And as I was wrong more and more and more as I grew up, well, humility came with that, you know? Now, this isn't to say that just because you're older, just because you're wiser, just because you have more experience that you are by definition always correct. Some think that, you know? And that's simply not true. Wisdom and experience should dictate the need to be open to learning how those younger than us think how they process, why they think that way, how their experiences may be different than our experiences. Wisdom dictates that we should be open to learning those things because there is much truth to the fact that the world they are growing up in today is very different than the world some of us grew up in 20, 30, 40, 50, however many years ago. You know, I grew up in the culture that said, look, this is, this is how you win at life. You go to school, get a college degree, get a good job, that's how you win at life. Well, today, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Stats, college tuitions and fees today are 1,446.47% higher in 2022 than they were in 1977. Stuff like that we need to be aware of because when we say, just go to school, just go to school, just go to school, well, it's 1,400% more expensive than it was in 77. Their pay hasn't gone up 1,400%. Right? We need to be aware that there is differences to the worlds that, that they're growing up in, right? And so we need to be ready to say, look, I have life experience as an older, as an elder, and that experience might have broad general principles that are going to apply to every situation, but let me not be so dismissive of the world you're growing up in as a younger, because it's different than the world I grew up in. Right? Things like homes. You know, since 1960 to today, the median income in the Los Angeles area has increased 32%. The median home price has increased 358%. We simply don't live in a world where it's like young people just, you know, go to, go to work, get a job, and buy a house. It's, it's not that easy to do anymore, you know? Well, save your money. Well, that would be easier to do if rent wasn't up 72% in the time, same time period, you know, right? So it's just be aware. You know, young people, don't dismiss the experience of those that have lived before you. But older people, don't dismiss the experience of those that are living now, you know? Because at the end of the day, people are people. Humans are humans. And humans react the way they always have reacted to situations, right? It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter how the culture has changed. It doesn't matter how the technology has changed. It, all of that will be, but, but people are people, right? 
And they've always experienced um, difficulty and times of suffering, and, 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 and people have responded the same from the beginning of time until now. And that's where the experience of the elders and those that have more experience and those that have gone before you is valuable. And so the experience of those who have lived more life, spiritually, in every other area, that experience that, that they've had, they've experienced more good times, they've experienced more bad times, they simply have more experience, especially walking with the Lord in those things, and this is where it ties back to the context of the elders in your church. Their experience should be treated with great value, great value, because it is of great value. I heard someone say, confidence without humility is arrogance. And arrogance can be catastrophic. I want to cite an example of that. When King Solomon died, his son Rehoboam took over the kingdom. And Solomon had a tough time during his reign, right? We, 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 we should know that as Bible students. But one of the reasons he had a tough time during his reign is because he, he wanted to do all these building projects, right? He thought, you know, if I build monuments, I'll be happy. And if I do this, I'll be happy. And so he taxed the people heavily, taxed them to the point of breaking them. And so when Solomon had passed away and his son Rehoboam took the throne, the people came to him and was like, dude, you gotta lighten up the tax burden because it's killing us. Like your dad almost killed us. And so Rehoboam, being a young man, asked two groups of advisors what he should do. One group was the older group, the elder group. They were advisors who had worked with his dad. They were people who had lived a lot more life and, and had experience dealing with people and dealing in these political realms and whatnot. And the other group, he asked, was a younger group of people, friends of his that he had grown up with, people that, that he knew he was very familiar with but simply hadn't lived as much life as the older group. And the older group said, look, We've seen what happens when you don't hear the people. So we heavily, heavily advise you to listen to them because they're on the brink of revolt. And the Bible says that Rehoboam rejected their advice, went to his friends, and they said, don't listen to the people. You know, this is a time to show them that you're in charge. Assert your authority over them. Make them respect you because, after all, you're the king now. In fact, go tell the people that your little finger is gonna be heavier than your father's waist. And he went, yeah, that's right. Well, he followed the advice of his less, less experienced contemporaries and guess what happened? The people revolted, the kingdom split in half and it never recovered from that. And that is when the kingdom of Israel split into the northern and southern kingdoms. A guy named Wayne Mackey said, the error of youth is to believe that intelligence is a substitute for experience. Now again, this isn't to diminish intelligence, right? Those of us that are older, we're experiencing it every day. Those that are younger in life know things we just simply don't know anymore. I'm constantly being introduced to new functions on social media I didn't even know existed, and I'm an IT guy, or used to be an IT guy, right? We're being introduced to ways of thinking and approaches to things that, 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 that are different. And, 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 and young people are smart. They are smart. But young people don't ever think that intelligence is a perfect substitute for experience because experience matters. And so responding to authority, it helps authority lead 
It helps it lead and, and do what it's called to do in the context of the elders of the church. You know, the elders of the church are here to shepherd the flock. We're here to feed you and to care for you and to take care of your spiritual needs. You know, and, and, and it's, it, that job isn't made easier when we're constantly being fought against and challenged and all that. That doesn't mean don't ask questions. That doesn't mean you know, any of that. But what I'm saying here is when you let the leadership lead and you follow their lead, you make it easier for them to lead you and to care for you and to take care, for you, take care of you. And, you know, responding to authority submission, it's just simply a reality of life. It's necessary. It's all around us. There's laws we have to submit to, right? And if we don't, people will come by with a black and white car and make us submit to the laws. There's submission at home to our parents as we're growing up. There's policies and regulations we have to submit to at work. There's directives from bosses. You know, in every part of life, there's structure, there's a chain of command in place for the health and the productivity and the efficiency and the blessing of the organization or, or the society or whatever, and it's the same in the church. Hebrews 13, 17 said this, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, again, I'm not bringing all of this up in any type of self-serving type of way, right? You know, obey me, right? That's, that's not my heart. It's simply part of the biblical text, and so I want to deal with it as part of the biblical text. And so Peter addresses the elders. Then he addresses those who are younger in response to those with more experience. And then he goes on to address all the people in the congregation after that. And so that first point was responding to authority helps leadership lead. The second point as humble living enhances the overall fellowship. Look at verse five again. He goes, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That word humility there means to value oneself appropriately, especially in light of one's own sinfulness, right? It's sometimes translated lowliness of mind to think low of oneself, right? To esteem oneself lower. Paul says this in Philippians 2, 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility considers others as more important than yourselves, right? The culture, and it's very important to point this out, and I think I've pointed this out before, the culture that this was written in was the Greco-Roman culture. And in that culture, specifically the Greek side of the culture, humility was despised. Like to be humble was, was you were a wimp, you were a weakling if you were humble. And like the Greeks, it was all about self-confidence. It was all about pride. It was all about self-aggressiveness. These were all prime qualities in the culture, right? The only people that were humble were the people that got conquered, right? You were conquered and your, your life and your rights were taken away and you were forced into slavery by those who conquered you. Those are humble people. That's what humility is. That was the culture that this was written in. And in that culture, Peter's going, look, the, the God, the Bible, sees humility as a virtue, a great virtue. The humble person is the strong person. The humble person is doing the greater thing. And I think a part of the reason why is that God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, our example, he was humble. He set that example for us. We follow this chief characteristic from our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, he goes, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, 
who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And so we take Christ as our example, and I think Peter is taking Christ as our example here, and he says, he writes, clothe yourself with humanity, right? That word clothe means to tie on, like, like tying an apron around the waist, right? And slaves of the time, they would have this apron in their service that they would tie around their waist. And really, that's exactly what we saw Jesus do when he washed the feet of his disciples, right? You remember that story. Before the Last Supper, the word tells us that he took off his outer garment, and it says he took a towel and he wrapped it around himself, and then he washed the feet of the disciples. And Peter was like, you're not going to wash my feet? That's ridiculous. Why did he say that? Because, you know, foot washing was the lowest of the low servant jobs, right? The other servants looked at the foot washing servants and was like, dang, you got it bad. That was foot washing. Like it was one thing to be a slave and a servant and you might have to be a cook, or, but, but the foot washer, wow, you got it bad. And Jesus, God in the flesh, bent down to wash their feet. He lowered himself to the lowest position. And then in John 13, 12, it says, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again, and he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, guess what? you also must wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example so that you should also do just as I have done for you. I said it earlier, it can be very hard. It can be very scary to make yourself subject to, to human authority over your life. It can be very scary to, to follow the leadership around you. It can be very scary in the church to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the pastor's lead and, and what he teaches and what he's admonishing us to do. I'm going to do that. It can be scary to do that. Why? Because again, you could be taken advantage of by leadership. And sadly, many leadership in the church have done that over the years. You could be hurt. You could be led astray. There's all kinds of reasons to not submit. Same thing with your boss or, or wherever you may be. It can be difficult to do so, but when you put on humility, it is much, much easier to be obedient to the Lord in this. Because when we put on humility, we say, look, I don't know if they're making the right choice, <laughs> the right decision, but God has them in charge. So I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to think lower of my opinion. I'm going to think lower of what I think and follow their lead. Because maybe I don't trust them so much, but I trust the Lord. And if the Lord has them in leadership, if the Lord has them leading, I'm going to follow. That's what he's talking about here. When submission and humility are working together, it's like, it's like oil in the gears, right? It's like oil in the gears. Everything works together much smoother, Everything functions the way it's supposed to function by, by leading and following. The entire community, the, the entire fellowship of Christ is enhanced, is, 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 is lifted up high. 
I think the reality is, is we all spend too much time thinking of ourselves. What I think, my opinion, right? Um, that doesn't mean it's wrong to do that, right? God allows us places and positions to say, you know, I'm in charge of this, or I have the decision-making ability in this. But humility is not so much just thinking of yourself less as much as it's really not thinking of yourself at all, right? It's kind of removing yourself out of the equation, and, and that's where humility comes with us being good followers, because if we're called to follow somebody, we're in a place to follow somebody, and we're like, eh, I'm not sure. I think I might have a better idea. You know what? We're going to get to this in a moment, but God will bring you to the place where he will exalt you, right? I had this kid living with me once years ago, and he would get a job, and he'd would lose it. He'd get a job and he'd lose it. And he'd get a job and he'd lose it. And I'm like, dude, what, what is up? And every time it was the same story. Well, I got there and was doing the thing, you know, and I just thought, you know, the way they were having me do it was stupid. And so I told them, I got a better idea. And they wouldn't listen to my idea. But I did it my way anyways. And they fired me. I was like, your idea might be a better idea but you're not the boss yet. How about you follow? And then let God raise you up into the position of being the boss where then you could have your good idea be the way everybody does the thing. I don't know if you ever got the lesson, um, but it's an important one, you know? He says, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. I think that's important because it takes great humility to lead biblically, to lead biblically, to shepherd spiritually, but it also takes great humility to follow biblically and to follow spiritually. So Peter gives us a fantastic reason for this, right? To clothe yourselves in humility. He goes, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. <laughs> that's a great reason. You know what? The quickest way to pick a fight with God, be proud. The quickest way for God to resist you, be proud. Interesting, right? Because that word pride is the rallying call of certain segments of our society today. And right here in Scripture, it's like, look, you want God to stand against you, be proud. Now, again, he's not talking about here of saying, I did a good job. I'm proud of that, right? He's talking about that arrogance, that confidence without humility, that arrogance, that I know best, and I'm the best, and I'm, I'm the one everybody should listen to. My way is the only way, and, you know, I'm going to preach tolerance, but only if you tolerate me, I don't have to tolerate you, and all that kind of nonsense that's going around the world today. God hates pride. It sets you against him, and it sets him against you. And so Peter is like, look, clothe yourself Put on, drape over your shoulders the very virtue that the world despises. Clothe yourself in the thing that is opposite of what the world is proclaiming to be the best. Humility. Clothe yourself with lowliness of mind. Humble yourself. Because humbleness, humble living enhances fellowship with both God and with others. And when you're in the place of following the leadership of someone else, humility will enhance that relationship as well. And so the third point I want to make is resting in God's sovereignty really professes that he is Lord of your life. Look at verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, 
so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your cares on him because he cares about you. I love this verse. The, the flow of this entire pa- passage is, look, whether you're, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're experienced, less experienced, whether you're leading, whether you're following, and all of it, all of you together must have actions of submission towards one another and the attitude of humility. Why? Because God favors those who live and walk in humility, but he resists, he aggressively stands against those who are proud. He goes, so humble yourselves before God. I don't think we could ever really be submissive to each other until we first learn to be submissive to God. I think this is why Peter quoted Proverbs 3.34, right? You know, here in verse five, right? God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, right? It takes grace to submit to another believer in authority, right? Another human. It takes grace. Because there's gonna be times, and it may be right now, for all I know, God, I need grace to follow that person. I disagree with him on this or that and the other. It's going to happen. But we need grace, and God gives us that grace if we humble ourselves before him. We submit to him. He will give us what we need to submit to those he calls us to submit to in our lives. Pride is a barrier to God's blessing, and so he says, humble yourself, therefore. And he uses this interesting phrase, under the mighty hand of God. You go through the Old Testament, you'll see this phrase, mighty hand of God or God's mighty hand or variations of this phrase used multiple times. And, and, and I think Peter, as, as being a, a good Jewish man, he was familiar with the Old Testament. I believe he was familiar with the phrase and I think that's why he included it here. This phrase, mighty hand of God, when you see it through the Old Testament, it's a term to describe God's power in protecting and delivering his people when they were in trouble. Right, you see these stories all the time where it says, you know, bad things are happening to God's people. And God's people cried out to the Lord and God's mighty hand delivered them, right? Paraphrase, but that's, that's usually the flow of how it goes when you see this phrase in the Old Testament. So why does Peter use it here? I think it's a reminder to his readers to refer back to this mighty hand of God in the Old Testament and see what he did and how he did it. And I think the context here, the context of why these verses are tied to the first four verses of chapter five is simply this. When you, when you submit to another human being, when you submit to their authority, it, it, like I said, it's hard, it's scary because they can abuse that authority. When you're in this place of this word hupotasso, when you're, whether it's a boss at work or, or governments or, or, or leadership in the church you're a part of, and you're saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to line up under their authority the way a soldier lines up under the commanding officer, right? I'm going to voluntarily put myself in a position where, where I'm trusting God, and so I'm trusting God, and so if they go, hey, let's march, you're going to say, okay, we're going to march. Why? Because the commanding officer has given the order. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. But when you do that as a believer, you're doing that aware of God's sovereignty. You're putting yourself in God's mighty hand. You're putting yourself under his mighty hand. You're resting in his ability to protect you and to keep you and to deliver you. You're resting in his lordship. You're trusting in his care. You're trusting in his protection. That's why I said it was an act of faith earlier. And by the act of submission to human leadership that God provides in your life, by, by saying I'm voluntarily going to subject myself to them and, and submit to their leadership, you are acknowledging that God is Lord of your life. 
You're acknowledging that, 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 that he is the one I am ultimately accountable to and obedient to, and so when he says do this, I'm gonna do that. It's a proclamation, and thus we willingly, in the same way, eagerly, and by example, subject ourselves in, in trust and obedience to the Lord. And so then he says this phrase here, so that he may exalt you in the proper time, you know. Like I said, I just shared the story earlier. You know, if you think you have great ideas, great. I'm not saying they're not great ideas. But if you're not in the place yet to be the one that decides to use your great ideas in the function, then wait. God will exalt you in the proper time. But there's a greater context here that says, look, if you're in a situation where you're submitting and you're not sure, but you're doing it out of trust of God, ultimately we're all gonna be exalted to, to, to be with the Lord in heaven. It's the same concept as he's been talking about suffering through the whole book. He's like, look, have a biblical perspective of suffering. It may be difficult now, but heaven's coming. You may not understand now, but trust the Lord, heaven's coming. Similar concept. But God loves the attitude of surrender the attitude of submission, humility, compliance. And he blesses and rewards us when we choose humility over self-exaltation. He blesses that. I've seen him do that over and over in my life. I've seen them do that over and over in the lives of people here at Hosanna. God never exalts anyone until they're ready for it. And so the process of humbling yourselves is the process of your growth and the process of your maturity and the process of going from a younger to an elder, right? The process of going from less experienced to more experienced. You know, one guy said it's first the cross, then the crown. It's first the suffering, then the glory. You know, again, you look at Moses, right? He was under the mighty hand of God for 40 years before God sent him to deliver the Jews from Egypt. You have Joseph was under God's mighty hand for 13 years before God lifted him to the throne. One of the evidences of, of pride in our life, I think, is our impatience with God. Because when we're impatient with God, what we're really saying is, I don't think God's decision is the right one, and I'm losing patience with it, and I'm about to do my own thing. But one of the reasons I think God allows us to suffer, and Peter's talked about this, one of the reasons he allows us to go through these things, one of the reasons he allows us to be in situations where we have to voluntarily subject ourselves and submit ourselves is that we might learn patience. That we might learn patience. And when we learn to operate in humility and obedience, when we learn to trust our place under his mighty hand in all things, in every circumstance with all people, then we enter into this wonderful privilege of experiencing him take care of our burdens. Take care of the things in our lives, to deal with our worries, all of it. That, that word there that he uses, our cares, casting our cares upon him. That word literally means anxieties and worries. Or to get even more literal in the Greek, it means to tear or divide your mind. Isn't that a great description of what anxiety is like? Your mind literally being torn in two? Is it this? Is it this? I don't know. Left, right? What decision? Should I? And your mind just is literally being ripped in half. What is a believer to do when they're worried, when they're anxious? We're to cast our cares upon the Lord. That word cast means to throw forcefully. <laughs> Get rid of it now. Don't be like, oh, this is the thing I'm worried about, Lord, and I don't know. No, I might want to hang on. No. He's like, you wind that thing up and you throw that as hard as you can. God, you take it. 
You take the worry. You take the concern. You take the thing I'm anxious about. You take that thing. I'm going to leave it with you. And so when the stresses and the worries and the anxieties come your way, contextually, especially when it comes to submitting yourselves to the authority of another human being, you have two choices, to carry those worries yourself or to cast them upon the Lord. You could hang on to it and let it just eat your mind up and make you all messed up. (laughs) Or you could just say, God, take it. I trust you. When we let God carry those worries, we still have the problem, right? We still have the concern. The thing is still there, but we won't be consumed by it. Our mind won't be torn in half by it is the point. But I think the big idea, the big message here to close on is that God cares for you. God cares for you. God cares for me. God cares for us. He cares. He loves you. He died for you. Of course he cares for you. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that so we humble ourselves to trust him and what he's calling us to do and who he's calling us to follow and how he's calling us to follow in, 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 in all these different areas of our life. He allows us to go through suffering, we know, to, to, to hone our character, to refine us, to strengthen us. And because God knows suffering and difficulty is going to happen in our life simply for standing for Jesus, he provides in our churches, this is the flow of his letter, he provides in your churches shepherds who are specifically called to tend to your spiritual needs, to care for you, to feed the flock, right? And he says, look, trust me by trusting those that I've raised up. Trust the experience, the life of those who, who, who maybe have walked with the Lord longer than you in this or in that or have more experience in this thing, and not just in church, it applies in all contexts of our lives. He says, trust their experience so that you could learn from their experience, so you could benefit from the lessons that I've taught them. He says, because suffering's gonna happen, trust those I've given you, trust those that I've called to help you, and help them help you by following their leadership. Help them tend and care for you. Don't kick them in the face when they come to, you know, help you out here and care. Oh, you're in a bad place. You know, shepherd, I'm going to pick up the sheep. And don't bite them. Or don't bite them hard. Okay? But he says to put on humility the way he did. Have a lowliness of mind the way he did, and you do it. Or in doing it, you demonstrate that, that you really do trust the Lord. That you really do trust him, and you trust his mighty hand to guide you, to protect you to care for you, to lead you. And when all of these parts are working together, it's glorious. God is glorified. Doesn't mean we can't have disagreements, but even in working all of those things out, we express submission to one another, we express humility to one another. Because God is worth us humbling ourselves before him. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. And if you find yourself struggling and submitting to the human leadership that God has put into your lives, I would just encourage you to maybe reevaluate your submission to God in your life. Maybe just say, are there areas of my life, God, where I'm not submitting to you? I haven't been practicing submission to you. Because that may be the very thing that is causing your heart to have difficulty in submitting to those that God may be calling you to submit to in this world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We trust you. We trust you, God. 
Lord, we trust the work you're doing in our lives and the things you're carrying us through, Lord. We trust the people that you brought into our lives to follow. We trust you, God, in the places you've led us to lead. Lord, we know none of it can happen without humility. And so we ask, Lord, that that virtue, that characteristic, Lord, of you would just shine through our lives. Lord, if we need it, and I even hesitate to say this, but if we need it, Lord, humble us. Because we know, Lord, that when we are humble, we're walking in your will. We're glorifying your name. We know, God, that when we're humble, things operate the way you intend them to operate, and they function the way you tend them to function. Lord, nothing is ever perfect in our lives, God, and that's even more reason why we need humility. Humility to, to, to follow and learn from those who have more experience than we do. Lord, to reach out to those who have positions of authority and leadership in our lives and to trust them, God. Even though life world might be different, technology might be different, Economics might be different today, but Lord, they still have experience that matters, that is relevant today, Lord. And so help us to be sensitive to that, to seek that. Lord, because we are all younger to someone, and that someone has experience, Lord, that can bless us, Lord. So help us to humbly learn from them. And then, Lord, to humbly just serve one another in, in, a, in a spirit of humility, God to do as your word says, Lord, to really think of others higher than ourselves, to really take ourselves out of the equation, God. Lord, to put ourselves in your mighty hand and to trust and to wait on you to to exalt us, to put us in position where, okay, now our opinion is the one that is the decision-making opinion, God. But even in that, Lord, God, we can't lead in positions of leadership without great humility. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just bring that spirit into every single one of us as your church. So, Lord, bless us. Help us to be the greatest light to this world and the greatest light to this community we can be individually, as a church, as the body of Christ. We love you. We thank you. And God, we so appreciate how much you care for us. Help us to cast everything, Lord, that we're hanging on to that is just wrecking our mind, to cast it on you, trusting and knowing, Lord, that you're doing something about it. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Let's worship.